Welcome to Fearless Hustle Collective, a podcast for creative female entrepreneurs and a home to honest conversations about the ups and downs of running your own business. Hello and welcome back to episode 15. I took a slightly longer than expected break. Um, I got ill a couple of days before New Year's Eve and I'm still kind of recovering actually so I've decided to take a little bit longer um, just to give myself a bit of um, time to recover. So this week I chat to Elizabeth Cairns who is a coach, writer and a holistic therapist. Elizabeth recently published a book called The Empowered Entrepreneur and we chat about the creation of that book, um, what it means to be an empowered entrepreneur, creating a vision for your business, the importance of curating a workspace and prioritising the projects that are important to you. Um, I really hope you enjoyed this episode and before we jump in I just wanted to say Happy New Year. I haven't spoken to you all that much over the kind of Christmas break so I hope you had a lovely um, time and I hope you managed to get some time off as well. Um, And I just wanted to let you know that the Fearless Beginnings Members Club, um, the doors have opened now but you're still able to sign up until this coming Sunday. So if you are kind of hesitating and you wanted to join, there's still time. And now let's welcome Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm really well, thank you, Anna. Lovely to speak to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. So I support creative entrepreneurs um, and I support them to thrive, really, um, helping them to craft a really authentic business and to communicate the messages that matter to them most. And most of that's done these days through coaching and retreats and a bit of wordsmithing here and there. I do quite a lot of writing for my clients now. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So how did your business look like when you kind of first started and what was your journey through kind of finishing school? What, What did that look like? Yeah, so it's been quite a um, quite a convoluted journey, really. I didn't go to university, um, and I went straight out to work. And I started my first business while I was still working corporately. Um, and at that time, I was working as a holistic therapist, and I was running retreats and personal development workshops and that kind of work alongside my kind of very corporate job in in marketing and sales and and branding. And then. Not long after um, I began that business in kind of 1999, I realized that there was a bit more to life than the corporate slog. So I left corporate life um, and then started, I kind of had parallel careers really um, because I'd built up this holistic therapy business and personal development business while I was working corporately. And when I left corporate, I kind of had this world going on over here with the kind of all the Birkenstocks and all the woo-woo stuff. And then I had the very mainstream corporate coaching um, and training and development work that I'd started to do while I was in corporate, but that I then brought into my other work. So I had two parallel businesses, if you like. One was in training and team development, which was more freelance. And I worked with some of the country's leading team development companies um, and consulted for them and built leadership programs and training programs. And I did some one-to-one coaching and some team coaching and I had this personal development business that was kind of sort of running alongside that and thriving at the same time and over the years I've kind of just pulled those two together and cherry-picked the pieces of each one that I really love doing the most so I've been able to make a business out of 
both developing people personally, but also developing their leadership or developing their business. And now over the years, it's kind of honed into primarily working with creative entrepreneurs. Um, and because I have much less time than I did when I was first freelancing, I've had to really, really niche um, into very specific. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And so you mentioned obviously mentoring and training. So how did that come about? Was that something that you were trained in in, in your corporate job? Yeah, so I did a bit of training in corporate. I was on a a coaching program corporately. um, And I also did some training on myself kind of aside from corporate. So I did an NLP training development program. Um, I did core skills and then a practitioner and a master prac. And I went on to become a trainer. So that was kind of alongside. And I did various other sort of bolt-ons to my holistic therapy practice, hypnotherapy and wordsmithing and various other things that I kind of pulled together. And then I was very lucky in that I was given lots of opportunities early on to throw myself in at the deep end and just get stuck in. Um, So I did a lot of public speaking because I was asked to and I kind of gave myself a year at the very beginning where I just said yes to everything. So if somebody said, I've got this gig, We've got, you know, a conference room full of people and we've got to deliver a talk on X. I go, yeah, okay, then I'll do that. (laughs) As long as it wasn't, you know, like floristry or something that was completely out of my comfort zone. As long as it was within my expertise, I said yes to everything. Um, And so I developed a lot of skills very quickly and a lot and kind of got to know what I was good at and met some I I was very lucky to train with some really excellent people in the field so um my tutor my NLP tutor my um who I then went on to work with alongside after I'd done training with him was exceptional um and he really supported me and actually teaching me how to facilitate how to hold space properly how to group coach how to really be present in a room how to you know, do that really um, subtle work of people development and leadership development. Mm. And I was incredibly lucky to spend time, um, you know, under his tutelage and and other people as well. Um, I managed to work with everybody from a team of SAS guys at one point who were doing (laughs) some amazing work, um, again, in corporate development and hostile environment training and all these sort of different areas that stretched me in different ways. And I was just very lucky to work with some excellent people, yeah, that sounds fascinating, actually, mm. that whole journey that you've taken to... Yeah, it was of, great fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to where you are now. And you say you've kind of cherry-picked the few bits that you absolutely loved about your other businesses and now you've kind of created that one more yes, well, well-rounded one, I suppose. The stuff that I really enjoyed and I thought where the things that I found easy that I noticed that other people didn't, um, the things that really lit me up where I felt I could make the most difference and just like looked at the people who I really, really enjoyed and really resonated working with and decided I was just going to work with them. And I wasn't going to, you know, I decided very early on, I wasn't just going to work with anybody for the money. I was going to be very discerning about who I worked with. And it had to be those people I could make the most difference to. And I think that really helped in the early days of kind of streamlining and deciding what it is that I wanted to do. And I also had a kind of policy that anything that was under an eight out of 10 kind of excitement or joy score I just wasn't going to look at it so yeah I had those that two criteria kind of going on I thought well you know I don't want to live a four out of ten life why would I do that so I and I had a lot more freedom then I had no children I wasn't married 
I could travel a lot with my work and I had lots of opportunities to do that. So it was very easy to go, you know, it's like that expression that you see banded around sometimes on social media now. If it's not a heck yes, it's a no. And I very much lived by that in the early days, which helped me to kind of find my way through what was really right for me. That's so interesting. So um, in a recent blog post, you've talked about creating a vision for your business. Obviously, you've kind of touched on that a little bit. But what does it exactly mean? And how can we create a vision for our own businesses? Yeah, so visioning is something I feel quite passionate about. But I think it's something that people can get the wrong end of the stick about sometimes, because it sort of sounds like this great big grand thing. And actually, it's not. It's very simple. A vision for me is just an image that you can hold in your mind of a future possibility. And so for our business, I use vision in two ways. I use it as holding a vision for the future that is a very compelling image that pulls me towards it and motivates me. And I use it in the everyday in terms of mental rehearsal and visioning where I kind of envisage envisage what I would like to happen happening, you know, like an athlete would do before a race or you know, I was working with some clients today and we, we were working on a presentation that they were giving next week, which is a, a real make or break it for their business. And that process of mental rehearsal of envisaging how it's going to go is quite an important part of that. Um, but in terms of how you create one for your business, I suppose it's just giving yourself permission to imagine what life would look like and what work would look like if you were achieving your potential where would you be? What would you be doing? Who would you be with? And taking the time to literally, as if you were a photographer, playing around with the subtleties of that image so that it becomes very compelling. So you might adjust the contrast of it. You might adjust the focus. You might adjust the perspective. You might shift it into color if it's black and white. You might make it a movie if it's still, you know, in NLP, you know, this is called working with the submodalities of things, but it's basically just manipulating the vision or the image that you see in your mind, so that when you see it in your mind's eye, it evokes a feeling that is motivating, inspiring, compelling, and pulls you towards it. Because I think quite often we can leave our the sort of architecture of our internal environment very much to chance, and we focus a lot of our efforts on what's happening outside in the world. And for me, there's a huge amount that can be done to influence what happens outside by shifting what happens on the inside first. No, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And does that, well, I'm I'm guessing from what you've just said, I'm assuming you kind of work um, on your mindset quite a bit as well in that case? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that if it's not part of the whole picture of everything, particularly with my clients. So if we don't look at mindset, it can get in the way without us realising, but it doesn't always come up. You know, it's not something that, um, everyone needs working well needs not work really because some people just have a naturally positive frame of mind and some people can just tweak it but I think often it's a realm that people forget about so yeah I would say it comes in more often than not mm. okay and I wanted to talk about work-life balance and um, you mentioned in your book that you feel that kind of this concept is a little bit redundant um, yes I was a bit worried I was going to be controversial with that oh, no, <laughs> you know, no. the whole industry out of whack not yeah, at all funny. Yeah, I find the, um, well, the kind of, the way you've explained it makes sense uh, completely, but do you want to kind of expand on what you, how how you feel about it, I suppose? Yeah, so I think work-life balance is a term that's banded around a lot at the moment, and I think in its essence, the concept is really well-meaning, 
So in itself, it's not entirely redundant because I think it's a response from to this need to address this kind of overwork ethic that's happened. You know, there's this huge prevalence of people working themselves into the bone yeah. of the joy being taken out of work of you know just everything generally feeling like a slog so I think this concept of work-life balance has come in to address that and that's you know as it should be but for me it's a lot about the wording in particular I think and the implication that's kind of embedded within it because the implication in work-life balance is that work and life are separate things <laughs> And that is hugely problematic for me um, because one, therefore, may take precedence over the other. And the implication, again, is that one is joyful and one isn't. And for me, work should absolutely be joyful and we shouldn't feel like we're not living when we're at work. You know, we should absolutely have that freedom to live and express ourselves and enjoy ourselves through our work. And the concept of balance as well is slightly problematic for me because it always conjures up this thought of weighing scales in my mind. And whenever that weighing scale image comes in, it's almost as if we are supposed to create a, a, a balance between the two things equally. Yes. So it's it's almost as if like we're measuring time. I think I mentioned this in the book against each other. Like, okay, so I spent three hours at work, so I have to spend equal and opposite out of work having fun. And that's problematic not only because work should be fun, but also because it doesn't allow for the scope for us to get really immersed in our work and go with the flow when we need to. Because there'll be, particularly if you're a creative, there will be times when you're so in the flow that you don't want to or need to stop. You know, if you're really immersed in a project and, and the wave of that inspiration is carrying you on, you don't want to be checking your watch going, oh my goodness, I need to have work-life balance now <laughs> because actually that, it's creating its own sustaining energy. Yeah. But I think it, it, it does remind us that we do need to look up and look at the bigger picture more often and get a sense of, am I getting all the aspects of my life fulfilled for me or is work taking over in a way that is unhealthy? Because equally that inspiration can, particularly if you have family, or particularly if you have other things you want to pursue, it can get out of whack. Um, so I suppose I'm kind of on board with the concept, but I just, I don't like this separation. I don't like this sense that work and life have to be different things because for me, I am sometimes most alive when I'm at work. No, you're so right. And I think, um, as you mentioned, work can sometimes take over. And I think there's been quite a bit of well, people mentioning that they're feeling overwhelmed and I've been kind of there myself lately. Um, what can we do to perhaps stop that from recurring, I guess? <laughs> Overwhelm's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I think, you know, even if you're doing a wonderful, wonderful work that you love and even if you're in an inspired business, you can still have those periods of overwhelm. And I think there's two ways to address it. So there's the overwhelm that you experience in the moment. And again, I think I talk about this in the book where all of a sudden everything just becomes too much and you can't cope with it. And in that moment, the state is overwhelming and, and you can't see the wood for the trees and you just can't act reasonably or properly. And that state of overwhelm, when you physically experience it, you just need to change that state by, you know, for me, it's get outside, look at the horizon, lift my eyes up, take a deep breath like remind my body that actually I'm okay, I can be here, I can be grounded and get a different physical perspective for my eyes and my body and my viewpoint using the landscape is really easy way to do that. Um, and then with that 
improved physical perspective and that shift in environment, suddenly everything is not so overwhelming. And then from that place, you can then look at, okay, why is this happening? Particularly if it's a repeating pattern. You know, if you're someone who struggles with overwhelm, it's likely that it comes up again and again, and it comes up in different places. And for me, the first place I look is where am I not putting a boundary down where I need one? Mm, You know, am I saying, yeah, exactly. I think we all struggle with it, you know, and sometimes it's easier for us to put boundaries in some contexts than others. You know, it might be that we have a dear friend that needs a lot of time. It might be that we have a family member that needs a lot of us in terms of energy or time. It might be, and, and sometimes those ones are tricky to deal with and we might need to give more flex or not, you know, than other circumstances. But I think what happens a lot, particularly with people who run their own business and creative entrepreneurs is that actually in their business, there's a lot of assumptions about, well, this is just the way it's done or this is what my customers need or if I'm not available at this time, then they're going to leave. And actually that's just often not true. Yeah. And we make all these assumptions. And if we challenge some of those assumptions and think, okay, If in an ideal world, where would I put this boundary down and how could I make that possible? Then actually what I found in my experience is it becomes a win-win for you and your clients because you're better able to serve them and you're better able to serve yourself. And actually people don't mind waiting. People don't, um, people are incredibly flexible. I mean, when I shifted, um, when after I had the children and I came back to work, I had to change the whole structure of my business because I had the young children. I wanted to stay at home with them. I also homeschool them and I wanted to have a business as well. And for a long time, coming back to your point about mindset, you know, this belief in my head that, oh my goodness, you know, I run a coaching business. I can't coach over Skype because I work really well one-to-one and I really like that personal connection and I don't want to do any, you know, deep interventions with people in case suddenly the broadband connection goes or whatever and oh my goodness and I had the kids during the day and how am I going to make this work and then I thought okay what if I could make this work what would it look like so I thought well I'll just have to coach in the evenings I'll have to coach by Skype because I can't travel because I need to be here for the children Mm -hmm. I just won't do any therapy you know I won't do anything that's going to put anyone in a difficult position I'll I'll set those hours I'll set the expectations clearly with my clients Um, and it's been a revelation nobody's complained everybody thinks it's brilliant because they don't have to take time out of their working day I've got a swathe of overseas clients I've got loads of clients in America Australia you know South Africa places where the time zone is problematic if you're only working nine to five so it opened up things in a way that I hadn't expected once I got over that kind of mental hurdle of I can't possibly put this boundary down Mm. so I think you know coming right back full circle to overwhelm I think if you can challenge some of the assumptions that we make about our life or our work or how we want to work and reclaim some more of that space for ourselves, because overwhelm is the antithesis of space. So if we look at where can we create space in our working life, where can we create space in our emotional life um, and make space more of a priority, overwhelm will naturally start to recede because the two don't exist together. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it, it, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Um, it was certainly something that I struggled with, particularly when I started my business, um, not setting those boundaries, responding to emails at, you know, 
all times yeah, of the day. It's easy, isn't it? it is, especially when you've got your emails accessible on your phone and it's, yes. it's right there beside <laughs> you. Uh, I'm sure that I'm not the only one. Although I am, I have to say, I'm getting better. Um, yeah, and I, and I think it's like working out. It's not just boundaries with other people either, is it? It's working out what boundaries with ourselves serve us better. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and where do we put, do we pick up our phone first thing or do we create more space, creative space for ourselves in the morning, for example, or, you know, do I don't have notifications on my phone anymore because I am somebody who is very easily distracted. Mm. Um, so I just have to put that boundary down. I mean, I don't even have a TV at home because I know that if we had, I mean, we just don't have TV. And partly it's not because I'm some kind of, you know, anti-TV person. Don't get me wrong. I love Netflix. <laughs> a friend of mine introduced me to it last year and I was like, how could I have lived without this? It's because I know that if it's there, I'll just watch it. That's, yeah, no, it's <laughs> you know, totally true. And that's not helpful for me. So I kind of try and know if you know yourself and you know where you need that extra support. You know, it's the same with the packet of chocolate biscuits. I just don't buy them because yeah. if they're in the cupboard, I'll just eat the whole thing in one go. So I think it's, you know, creating those boundaries. You know yourself well enough that will serve you to do what it is you want to do. Um, and that's where the vision comes in. Because if you have a really strong vision and you have a sense of what you want to achieve and it's compelling enough, you will overcome anything you need to do that. Um, and that, that was true in the writing of the book as well, because I realized that, you know, when I, before I had my daughter, that, that manuscript had been sitting around for a while and kind of in various iterations, it started out actually about 10 years ago as a book on authentic networking. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I thought, you know, it, and it would have been the book for its time had I written it at that time um, about authentic networking, because it was the time when we were all like slaving away and going to networking, you know, terrible breakfasts and yes. going to pass your business card around in those dire days. And I was like, oh, there's a better way, you know, and I had this whole enlightened vision and didn't write the book, obviously, procrastinated, procrastinated. Um, and I realized when I had Cadence, who's now seven, I thought, oh, you know, I haven't got much time now. Maybe I should think about, you know, when I'm going to do this book, when I'm, you know, I need to actually get it done. And then I didn't do anything because I thought I haven't got any time. And then Ellie came along and then I realized, oh, I had loads of time when I just had one. <laughs> and now it's, oh, I'm never going to have more time than I have now. Yeah. And when I made that realization, I was like, oh, okay, this, this has got to happen. When is this going to happen? So if it's a priority, you've got to make time for it. Exactly. And you will do. And it just becomes the priority for whatever period of time. Because, you know, it's not realistic to say you can do everything. You can do anything. You just can't do them all at the same time. So I, having that, had that realization that I'm never going to have more time than I have now, and then challenging some of the other limiters that were getting in the way for me for writing it. Like, you know, I have have this crazy limiting belief that I can only write in the mornings because that's the only time I have any creative thought well that was very convenient for me wasn't it because that was another <laughs> excuse for me not able to write this book because I never had any time in the morning yeah, with two of course, kids of course. so I think yeah it's that it's, it's it's creating that framework for yourself that makes it possible and giving yourself enough of a kick up the backside to get it done and shifting those expectations I guess as well Completely, completely. And making that commitment, you know, another thing that vision helps with is that sense of commitment. And it really galvanized for me. It was November last year, when um, Fiona Humberstone, the brand stylist and I were delivering a really wonderful workshop called Focus and Thrive. And we were putting together the gift bags for the attendees. And we were putting Brand Brilliance, which is her latest book into the gift bag. 
And I was really proud of it. We'd worked on it together and I supported her with some of the editing. She created a brilliant book. And I thought, oh, why isn't my book here? You know, it was really, it was a real feeling for me that this should be in here alongside that. And I didn't know what form the book was going to take at that point. And I said to myself, and I said to Fiona, this time next year, when we do Focus and Thrive, it's going in the gift bags. It's going to be your turn. And then it was, oh, okay, so now I have less than a year to do this. Um, and then it became an even shorter time frame because the printing turnaround was like three months. So I had to get it finished by the January. <laughs> that was the November. So it was very galvanizing from that point of view. Um, but because I had the vision, a very small vision of putting my book in the gift bag for participants at my workshop in November, that I knew that that was going to become a reality. And then when I did deliver Vision and Vitality last week and put the gift, put the books in the gift bags, it was like, oh, I'd, I'd even forgotten that I thought that until I put them in. You know, I was like, oh, this is it, full circle. You know, I saw the vision, it galvanized me to action. I've manifested, you know, I've actually done what it took to get this done. Yeah, um, and here it is. Very exciting. <laughs> it, it is, and I, I, um, I have a copy, and I absolutely love it, and I find it beautifully laid out. Um, but aside from that, it's it's very inspiring. Everything that you write about it really kind of resonates, and yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I haven't finished it quite yet, but it's kind of on the bedside table, and I pick it up every now and then. And yes, yeah, it's, it's been yeah, really a really nice read. So. I'm glad and Fiona's done such a Fiona did the styling for the book and the yes. and the design and she had a really clear again a really clear vision for that and how she wanted it to be and I was you know wise enough to stay well out of the way and let her <sighs> create that and then you know when she'd sent me sent me the book to review it was very you know it was very clear what 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 needed to be in there and yeah it was a really lovely process I'm glad you're enjoying it yeah no it must have been a, a an amazing process to go through actually from like you say, having that idea, you know, say 10 years ago, initially, perhaps for a slightly different book, but it was always something that you wanted to do to then going through the designs and actually finalising all of that. That must have been very, very exciting. Yeah, it was. It was great because the writing of it actually in its entirety didn't take that long. You know, the physical writing of the book, I think I probably wrote about 35,000 words in about three or four days in the end, wow. <laughs> um, you know, from a draft manuscript. Again, because I didn't have that much time. It was in the school holidays when my husband's a teacher, so he was able to be at home. And I literally had four days to get it finished. And he was, you know, chomping at the bit to get her hands on it because I refused to give it to her before the whole thing was finished. She was like, let me just have a bit and I can. And I went, no, you're not having it till it's done. And so having that, again, knowing what motivates you can be really helpful um having that deadline and knowing that she was waiting and encouraging me you know waiting for it meant I just had to get it done so I did yeah, amazing um so you've mentioned that you homeschool your children yes <laughs> um how does that factor into your working day I suppose because I um I imagine that most of the day kind of goes to spending time with them yeah it does so um it's a challenge I won't say that it's not I'm lucky because my children are still quite young. So Cadence is only seven at the moment. Um, and one of our reasons for homeschooling was because I do think that in the UK, we go a bit nuts and get kids into school a little bit too early. So we've taken a more um, sort of European or Scandinavian approach and so have delayed things a bit. So 
it's not like we're religiously doing an eight-hour school day at home. Mm. You know, it's much more flexible than that. Um, That said, I found the way that it works well for me is that I compartmentalize my headspace. Um, So the days are for the children um, and the evenings, once they're in bed, for my work. Now, there is some crossover. So, for example, you'll see that I'm on Instagram during the day. What I, how I manage that is I schedule my imagery for my posts, for example, in the evening. And then because I want my what I say in my posts to be authentic, I might write a draft, but I'll probably rewrite it at the time of posting because I want it to kind of be timely and real, and that's really important to me. Um, so if the children are engaged with something, I will allow myself that space to do that but I find that in the days if I get pulled into that too much it's not productive for work and it's not productive for the kids so I tend to keep a very strict boundary around when I'm at home with the children I'm with the children and then I have the evening what that does mean is that the pace of business moves much much slower than it used to and much much slower than I might want it to you know sometimes it does get the biggest challenge for me is managing the frustration of having all the ideas and not being able to action them because most of my working week is actually client focused so I do probably 10 hours of coaching a week in the evening and then my husband's a teacher so I then do my workshops and my client days predominantly in the school holidays Although actually from next year, thankfully, he's going down to just a couple of days a week. So I have more week time. So we're, And then we'll shift the homeschooling so that we balance it between us. Oh, okay. Uh, so you, you'll, you'll get a few days in the week Yes, because I'm turning away more work than um, I've got more work than I can cope with at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're lucky that Mike's a teacher, but we, we also run another business of a music studio. And, and he's a writer as well from home. So we have these kind of portfolio things to keep us going if you like um and again we were just problem solving it's like well there needs to be a better way to doing this that means that the children we don't have to compromise on what we want for the children's education we don't have to compromise on serving our clients and doing our creative projects really well how could this work and just challenging the conventional you know you have to work five days a week or you have to work nine to five or you have to it has to look like this um so if you give yourself permission to create whatever you want, you can create whatever you want. Yeah, just just making it fit with your lifestyle and what you choose yeah. to be a priority, I guess. Yeah, and because one of our aims, hopefully for the homeschooling, is to do more world schooling and to travel more with the children, mm. it was important that we you know, had that in mind in the initial vision so that the businesses that we create allow, allow us to have that flexibility. Um, yeah, so I think the challenges are... Again, that managing that frustration, but also, um, and not getting pulled into other things because I do find my work incredibly inspiring, and it's great because I, I, you know, I get instant feedback that I'm doing a good job, which I don't always get when I'm with the children. You know, I have to trust that I'm doing a good job a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, my ego is massaged a bit more when I'm at work, so it is a lot easier to do that. Um, but it's a choice we've made, and I think what's lovely is that actually homeschooling enables me to get more of the for want of a better word work-life balance because when I'm with them we're out in nature and we're doing inspiring things and we're being creative and we're seeing friends and we're you know connecting socially so which actually for a lot of people they don't get because most of that time is spent in the office 
So I think in some ways there's a huge benefit to that because it brings in all of that vitality time for me and that time in nature that I probably wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, yeah, because you, you realistically, if uh, you know, you'd probably be working at your desk doing, yeah, just stuff for your business, I guess. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. Then, so it's a blessing. You've mentioned I know you um, prioritize having some time outside in the mornings and stuff. Is that something mm. that you do every day? How does that look? Yeah, well, I kind of have to with the kids because um, Elian is he's very dynamic and has lots of energy for a four-year-old boy so we do need we're out in all weathers all days and we're very lucky because we live right on the edge of farmland and and back onto the woods so it's right there for us so it's there's no barrier to doing any of that kind of thing we moved out of London when Cadence was younger um because you know I had this not a desire but just a need to be close to nature I, I don't think I could function without it um, generally you know from a mental health perspective and from a physical perspective and there's it's just hugely restorative just being out in that space every day so yeah that's a given we do that every day mm, that's nice I think I I struggle with well I say struggle it's it's always something that I think I'm going to do <laughs> yeah it's hard to make it a priority isn't it I think yeah it's it's almost something that I've had to schedule into my working day to make sure that it happens because yeah. um a lot of the time like you say you kind of get in the flow or you just want to finish something off and the time kind of runs away a little yeah, bit exactly. and, and yeah and then you find yourself obviously I do the school run and stuff so I have to go and pick my son up from school so by that point yeah there's just not enough time to actually have a few minutes outside and yeah a bit of a break and I think scheduling it is really helpful isn't it if you know it's going to be difficult if you're someone who holds themselves accountable to their diary then scheduling it's a great idea or piggybacking other things onto it that you could you know we make a lot of assumptions about a lot of things have to happen at our desk when actually if you work for yourself and you have a phone call you could take a phone call outside on the mobile yeah. You know, you can go for a walk in the woods on a call. You can do your creative brainstorming on a walk outside. And actually, it's better if you do because your brain is much more able to generate ideas when you're on the move. Um, so I think it's just thinking, OK, if this is a priority, how can I build it in without it feeling like just an extra thing? Because we've all got too much to do already. And if you have it's like, you know, the fitness program or the whatever. If it's just another thing to do, it becomes a chore. Yeah. Whereas if you kind of re orientate and reorganize the way that you're doing things that you would already do to incorporate doing them outside then you stand a more of a chance I think of doing it more often no you're, you're absolutely right <laughs> <laughs> um so for those who are at the beginning of their business journey how can they recognize what they're good at because um, that's something you mentioned in your book is kind of really getting clear on what your strengths are I suppose in order to then create a sustainable and purposeful business. Hmm. Yeah, it's tricky because I think for some people it can be quite a long journey and that's okay. Um, I think quite often we feel a pressure to have fully formed ourselves by the time we're 25 and be doing our work immediately then. And to some degree, you know, obviously if you're, if you're entrepreneurially minded, you want to be doing something that's worthwhile and sustainable and um kind of on point as soon as you can but I think it's worth bearing in mind that that can also be an evolving journey um but I think at the heart of discovering that is 
time to reflect and really get to know yourself because the more, which again is something that we often don't do. We're in this busy, we don't pause, we don't ask ourselves, how am I feeling about what I'm doing? Am I enjoying this? Am I good at this? You know, how are people responding to me in this situation? You know, what's the end result of what I'm creating here? You know, we, we don't reflect on ourselves and how we feel as we move through our day. So I think more reflection and more time to tune in is an absolute must. Mm. And then listening as well externally, because you'll get a lot of feedback whether you ask for it or not. And people will tell you, if you're good at something, people will tell you. You know, you will know because you'll be hearing it from people. And you may not notice it when they say it because you might not be expecting it. Or it might be in an area that you're not paying attention to or you're not trying to be good at. Or, you know, there's a lot of um, feedback out there if we start to tune in and listen to it. And you might find that you discover that your talents actually lie in something that you were just treating as incidental because it's so easy to you or because it's something you do every day or you don't even have to think about it. And actually, quite often that is the case. The things you find easier than other people or easier than anything else that you do are often your gifts. So it's not necessarily that you have to be better than other people in your field of that particular thing. So I'm not the best public speaker in the world, but I know it's something that I should be doing more of because I really enjoy it and I find it easier than a lot of the other things that I do, for example. So if you use yourself as a benchmark, um, as opposed to looking for the as outside. opposed to looking mm -hmm. at the outside, because there will always be people that are better or not as good at different things than us. That's a and whilst slippery I, slope, isn't it? Yeah, I think it can be. I think it's. I think it can help to give us a kind of a dose of realism if and when we need it. You know, it's like you don't want to be the person that ends up being shoved onto Pop Idol by your mum who thinks that you have an amazing <laughs> voice and you actually, you're, you're completely tone deaf. Yeah. You know, we need to have some kind of sense of realism. Um, but I think often people don't realise how exquisitely talented they are at certain things um, because it just come, it comes naturally to them. Mm. So, yeah, so listen externally, pay attention, um, Pay attention to what you find easier than other things. Pay attention to what brings you joy. Because for me, there is always a correlation. The work we are meant to do is joyful. Mm. And that doesn't mean that it's not a slog. And that doesn't mean that, you know, in terms of run, there'll be bits in your business and the architecture of all of that that are graft. But it doesn't have to feel like graft or a slog, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I don't like doing my tax return. But that's, that's just an element of running a business that I have to do that, you know, I outsource to my wonderful accountant. Um, but the act of bringing your gift out into the world should be a joyful one that makes you feel bloody brilliant, frankly, because mm. <laughs> it normally does. And you've mentioned um, reflecting on the things that we enjoy. How would you say, is, is reflection kind of a, an important part of your business? For me personally, hmm. yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's something I do naturally all of the time anyway. Um, and I think over the years I've honed it into a process that is succinct and useful rather than navel-gazing because too much kind of pondering and wondering can actually slow you down and stop you from doing things when actually you just need to take some action. Um, but for me, 
I will always reflect like if I do something specific like the vision and vitality workshop a couple of weeks ago at the end of the first day I would always reflect okay how has this gone how am I feeling what's gone well what do I need to make sure I do better tomorrow what do I need to make sure that I incorporate you know what's been extraneous it's that kind of very focused very positive kind of I'm going to improve this what three things do I need to do differently you know that's that's just a really you know, quite corporate way of looking at that, I suppose, very basic method of reflection. But then there's a deeper one for me that is running through everything and has done probably since I was maybe 14 when I started journaling, is this this continual awareness of what's going on in my inner dialogue and what's going on in my thinking so that I can, and writing that out in particular, so I do a lot of reflection through writing because then you can see where you're getting stuck whereas you can't if it's all shut inside your head and I think personal awareness if you want to be an empowered entrepreneur you absolutely need it in spades Mm. and would you say you go back through your journal and look through stuff that you might have written a while back just to no not really I don't not that I'm saying you shouldn't do that but I don't tend to Mm -hmm. because I'm a very in the moment I tend to take the learning and move on I might do it at the end of each year and kind of have a skim through particularly if I am aware that a pattern seems to be quite stubborn so if something keeps coming up for me I'm like okay I need to look at this more deeply maybe I'll just go back and see when it when it's occurred and I, I will then very often see very clearly in my journal oh Actually, I've had this for three years. It's time I moved on. But that's rare, to be honest. I don't, I have less time to do that now. I've got the children than I probably would have done before. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that you, well, you've mentioned that the working environment can have a kind of huge impact on our productivity. How can we ensure that the workspace that we kind of, sit in every day I suppose encourages higher levels of productivity and encourages to just kind of get down to work I suppose mm-hmm. yeah I suppose it depends on what you're going for so um I think our work environment needs to facilitate what we need to do most and what we struggle with so if productivity is something that you struggle with it makes sense to gear up everything to support you in that um so I think it's about the active choice of where you work. You know, if you want to be highly productive, does it make sense to work in a coffee shop or does it make sense to work somewhere quiet? One may be better than the other for you. Um, For me, if I'm writing a blog post or if I'm brainstorming ideas, I might very well go into a coffee shop because actually it's hugely focusing for me to have to, you know, just to be in that buzz for some reason. And then some days I'll think, actually, no, I don't need that. I need this quiet space in the office but in terms of the physical environment it needs to create a feeling in you that is purposeful so if you walk into your office space whatever that is whether it's you know your couch in your lounge or whether it's a purpose-made office or a studio or whatever and you walk in and you have to trip over a load of boxes on the way in and you've got stuff dumped in the corners and it's dusty and it smells a bit funny and you haven't cleaned it in a week and you know the flowers are a bit droopy in the corner and you walk in and your energy just sinks through your boots it's not going to be a productive environment for you um and obviously there are degrees of that that's quite extreme and i so i think it's about curating a space that is clearer than cluttered so for productivity generally speaking 
we need what we need to hand and we don't need anything extraneous. Mm-hmm. For creativity and inspiration, however, lots of creatives like to have carefully chosen things around them. So I'm not saying, I'm, for me, I am quite minimalist and I get overwhelmed if there's too much stuff around me in my office space. So I have things very, very clear and I have a candle, I have my notebooks, I have the pens I need and that's pretty much it. Um, you know, I might have a plant in the corner. Whereas I know, for example, the lovely Gail Jones, who did the illustrations for my book, her office is a visual feast of inspiration. So she has little mood boards on the wall and then she has her paints arranged in different places and she has sketches and she has stacks of magazines because she finds those really, really inspiring. You know, there's lots and she has a beautiful window that she looks out on. So she's curated her space because when she's in her space, she needs to be inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the way to approach it is to walk into your space, to take a deep breath, to ground yourself and to get a sense of what you feel like. And then just to start taking stuff out, take stuff out and see what changes, move stuff around, see what changes, open the window, see what changes, you know, and then you can get really, really subtle with the placement of things, with the arrangement, with the colors that you use and just feel your way through and you know, make make a change, work with it for a while, see how you feel. Make a change, work for it for a while, see how you feel, and kind of tweak as you go till you get to that point of being really productive. Yeah, um, to curate that space that you're really happy with. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, generally for productivity, turn the notifications off on your phone, get rid of your phone if you can, set yourself a timer and, you know, focus for shorter periods of time. Um, if you're in a workspace with other colleagues, set up some kind of system so you know that you're not disturbed you know we used to have when I worked in an open plan office we had a red red flag system so I'd literally put a flag up on my desk and if the flag was up no one was allowed to come near me and same for everybody else but we we knew that that flag would only go up for half an hour at a time so you didn't take the mickey (laughs) you know there's there's a way to work it so that you create the boundaries and the space that you need Mm, yeah so um to kind of come well, we're coming to an end um, of the episode. Um, what would you say is your one tip for those looking to follow their dreams or who are in the process of starting a business? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> if there's one thing that you'd pick. <laughs> one thing. Trust yourself. You know, That's tune a in. big one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it's not easier said than done, right? Um, yeah, tune in. Listen to yourself. If you are clear and you know that something is right, trust yourself because there will be lots of advice from lots of well-meaning people from every avenue and it's very easy in the early days to get overwhelmed by that. So by all means, research, ask questions, you know, consult experts, all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, strip it all back, come back to yourself and ask yourself, you know, what is it that I need to do in this situation and trust yourself? Mm, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I ask all of my guests two questions. Um, What is a favourite book that you've recently read and would like to recommend? Aside from yours, obviously, I definitely (laughs) recommend that one. (laughs) Gosh, I'm an avid reader. I've read so many. Um, One book. Can I give you a book I haven't quite finished yet because I'm captivated already? Absolutely, yeah. Um, So I only bought it last week. And it is The Children's Fire by Mac McCartney. 
And I'm a huge fan of Max. He's the founder of Embercoom, if you haven't come across it. Um, and his book is it's basically a call to arms and a call to action for people. Um, and it, it talks of his uh, a journey that he went on in England. Um, and I won't tell you anymore because it'll ruin it. But it's Max's work is really all about helping people find their authentic path and their authentic purpose. But also he has a huge passion for sustainability and serving the planet the way that we need to. Um, and it's something that I'm realizing as I'm getting older that I'm not doing enough personally. Mm. And I want to leave a better legacy for the kids and actually Mac and his work is supporting me in doing that. So I think it would be The Children's Fire by Mac McCartney. Oh, that sounds lovely. And who would you like to hear interviewed on the podcast? Ooh. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm going to say Annie Spratt. She'll hate me for this. <laughs> Annie Spratt, the photographer. She's fabulous. Um, and she's just... a she's a really interesting and fascinating person who's been on lots of travels. Um, she takes incredible photos. She has a really beautiful eye. She has no clue how amazing she is. Um, and I think she'd have some great stuff to say. So yeah, I'm going to say Annie. Perfect. Thank you so much. So to finish off, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on my website, which is elizabethcairns.com, C-A-I-R-N-S, as in the place in Scotland, um, and or in Australia even. <laughs> and on Instagram, I am and thrive. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's a pleasure, Anna. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'd be really grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes so that other female creatives can enjoy this podcast too. I'll see you next week.